0: And welcome to The Price of Footballs. nice to start a show on Kieran laughing That's good um, The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game I'm Kevin Day And the one chuckling over there in the corner in Sussex Is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire And Kieran after a, after a lot of our loyal listeners Actually saw Mrs Day and the Baroness On Monday night I'm afraid to say it's the opinion of many Of that a lot of loyal listeners That we are punching above our weight In terms of our respective partners <laughs>
1: yeah, I've, I've been told that on, on many an occasion. Um, so I, I think uh, Producer Guy is currently in negotiation for the film rights of this podcast. <laughs> um, and I believe now, having seen those comments, that both Brad Pitt and George Clooney have pulled out of play, playing the pair of us.
0: <laughs> you, um, I don't know if you deliberately placed yourself slightly angled ahead of the Baroness, but you... You couldn't see what I can only describe as a half-hour masterclass of comedy face acting going on behind you, uh, which uh, especially as the team named Russian girlfriends slowly climbed to the table. <laughs> um, now, Kieran, later in the programme, you will be chatting to Plymouth Argyle owner Simon Hallett, who I think is firmly on the good guy list. But first, as it's news day, let's discuss some well news and. The first story, an unexpected twist in the Charlton story, and I think you know this pod in the early months was based on many strange stories that had my eyebrows raised. And and to be fair, the eyebrows are fairly well disciplined these days. It takes a lot to surprise me, but this this story, when it turned up this morning, <laughs> genuinely did surprise me. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Charlton's. Present owner,
1: as far as we are concerned, uh, Thomas Sangard, who, who again appears to be in the good guy list. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he he's discovered that uh, over the course of sort of the last nine months prior to his arrival, the club seemed to get into a habit of uh, uh, signing more cars than footballers, um, and, and and the cars tended to be rather nice ones. So I think they had about seven hundred grand's worth of cars uh, acquired. Um, including quite a quite a nice fleet of Range Rovers, and it looks as if uh, one of those Range Rovers is going to be uh, a prize uh, for a fan. Uh, and I think sort of the deal is, if, if you sign up for the uh, I Follow system, your your name will go into some form of draw. So uh, yeah, that will be absolutely amazing. But uh, it, it, again, it's indications that. When owners come in, unless there is some form of monitoring, uh, things can go uh, things can go awry. Uh, so, you know, how much money was spent uh, in in various schemes and uh, elements of wonderment? Uh, uh, we, we await to find the sort of the full audited figures. But uh, I don't think Thomas Sangard was particularly impressed with what he inherited, uh, especially at a time when the club has been in and out of having a transfer ban. So if you, if you can't afford to sign players, but you can afford to go out and spe- buy cars, it doesn't reflect
0: too well on the previous owners. Well, th- there are a couple of things in this story, Kieran, because on, on the face of it, it's, it's one of those hilarious comedy club owner stories that we, we're so used to. But And of course, when you unpack it, it's far from hilarious. Because first of all, you're talking about 10 top-of-the-range Range Rovers, and I was trying to f- desperately trying to think of a word earlier, that was like top of the range, but didn't also have range in it. So I hate repeating words in the sentence. So f- first of all, um, how how does a, a new club owner surreptitiously acquire 10 top of the range range rovers without somebody at the club noticing? Secondly, Sanguard said this is a symbol of how uh, terribly the club was run by these previous owners and that implied quite heavily that these range rovers were being um, used by people other than club staff but also I don't understand quite why Sangard is legally able to give one of these away as a prize because it's not his club at the moment I thought that's I thought the whole terrible last couple of weeks had left the ownership of the club in limbo is he he, so is he still officially the club owner subject to any court decision
1: uh yes I think we look at these things in turn um if, if somebody acquires a company, then legally they're entitled to do whatever they choose to do. They, they are the shareholders, they are the directors, um, and therefore, when it comes to decision-making, it, it falls into their lap. Now, unless there is a system of checks and controls, then they are free to use and abuse uh, as much as they so desire. Um, so it does appear that uh, you know, if, if these stories are true, that then some of the people involved have... Uh, you know, it's its its a breach of moral and ethical duty that they have towards the club, but clearly they didn't appear to have uh, any morals or ethics. Mm. Um, so that didn't particularly bother them. In terms of Thomas Sangard, I mean, he he has been paying the bills since he acquired... Um, the 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 assets that were sold to him by East Street Investments. So I think he I don't think he's allowed to control East Street Investments, but the company was allowed to sell him the assets, presumably including these cars. Um, I, if they've not paid cash for them, then there must be ongoing leases. And perhaps what he's just decided to do is to perhaps to give some of them back to the lease companies you know, uh, to, to minimize his losses. But it could be that he's decided to. Uh, as as uh, as a sign of, of the nature of, of the behavior prior to his arrival he's probably going to pay one of those up and give this out as a prize which will be
0: which will uh which will be fantastic for whoever receives it yes well i'm going to guess here that this story is true it, it only uh, emerged last night guy sent it to us this morning to add on to the current news stories but it comes from a london news website that's relatively reputable and I know as it happens I know the journalist under whose byline the story appears so it might be that we can get him uh, to have a chat with us and give us some more details but again we and we've asked producer guy this if we will be contacting Charlton Athletic uh the previous owners to to get their side of the story because you know they won't react as Steve Dale constantly refuses to react, but we're, we're becoming increasingly aware that we should at least give the other people in these stories the chance to reply to us. Um, and Kieran, these are words I, I was really hoping I would never get to say on this pod again, but there are problems with Wigan Athletic and the consortium looking to buy them.
1: Yes. Um, th- this has been dragging on far too long. Um, and it's to do um, with our good old friends, the the owners and directors test, or the old mm. or the you know, fit and proper test in old money, yeah. um, and, and it appears to relate to somebody called Antonio Papadopoulou. <laughs> That's, <laughs> easy. That's
0: easy for you today, Kieran.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and and a, a, state, a sort of a mini statement came out from the EFL in that they are not in a position to transfer ownership, i.e., somebody who is involved in the consortium to acquire Wigan Athletic has failed an aspect of the owners and directors test. And and this is is a little bit odd because there are, as we know, that there are broadly two elements to satisfying the owners and directors test. First of all, you've got to have proof of funds. Now, given that it appears to be in relation to one person, you would imagine that collectively they've got to be able to produce proof of funds because you might have one person who's front of house, another person who's you know sort of the person at the back providing money and providing you've got a group or two or three people and it's, yeah, they've got to show we've got 3 million quid. If they can show 3 million quid between them, all fine. Mm-hmm. The other element of the owners and directors test is um, they, they have got to be seen to have no um, outstanding uh, Legal uh, claims against them, so you know, legal. So, so it could be that one of them has something uh, that has cropped up, which is, which has is, uh, piqued the the interest of the EFL. We know that they've, as usual, that they've they've not really given any details, which mm. unfortunately, in, in in the world of social media, has has generated a lot of speculation. Um, so I, I went onto the internet uh, to uh, to company's house, uh, which is is my second home
0: these days um and be, once the baroness kicks you out kieran which will inevitably happen you may well have to be kipping down a company's house and i'm sure they'll let you in it's, it's i have these elements it's like an old-time 50s black and white film where the the old chap on the door says here he comes here's old here's old kieran spreadsheet here, here he'll be he'll be living here one day and sure enough you'll turn up with a sleeping bag oh she's lost patience did she she did yes <laughs> yes there's too many references to moscow <laughs> yes
1: so, so um i i've been looking at a new company which was set up a couple of months ago called afc wigan athletic limited right um and there's been a, there's been musical chairs taking place in in respect of this company over the course of the last three or four days um And uh, it it does appear that some of the directors have gone and um, Antonio Papadopoulou is no longer deemed to be the person in control of AFC Wigan Athletic. But instead, that control has uh, been transferred to an organisation called House La Fuente, um so I did some more digging up, and it turns out that House La Fuente um is a real estate company based in oh. Legon in Spain. Right. Um and last year its uh, its turnover was about hundred and ninety thousand dollars, which doesn't appear to be a huge amount. Now no. it could be that I, I've picked up yeah, you know, i I could have done a wrong Google search here, um and it's not, but um yeah, you know, my my concern is that if the stories were true, Mm. then the prospective owners of Wigan were from Spain. And this is a Spanish company. Now, you know, are are we, are we putting two and two together and, and getting too many? I'm, 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 I'm not certain, but, uh, The progress that we that we hoped was taking place in respect of Wigan um, hasn't materialised, which is a shame. I mean, they won at Sunderland on Saturday, which was they've had a a series of pretty grim results Mm. because the administrators have sold all the assets, including all of the players that had both a left and a right foot, um, and. Yeah, uh, it you know, has, hasn't really left very much for, for for the for the footballing
0: side of the business to deal with. In general, Kieran, would, if you've got a consortium of five or six people looking to buy a club, and the EFL have problems with one of them, would the consortium just quietly drop that one from the bid, and then just sort of bring him back to help out when it's over, or, or, or do they have to f- physically show proof that he's no longer involved, his money isn't involved, or? His crime has been his debt to society has been paid.
1: Um, I, I, I guess that when you put forward the uh, the, the people, the owners and directors test, if one of them fails. Um, they, they would have to evidence this, and and the fact that the shares have been transferred away from this guy, yeah, um, we, I think that would help the case. Um, we have seen the administrators extend and extend. The, uh, the the exclusivity uh, period mm. that the prospective owners have, which which presumably is because the administrators believe that they have the money. Remember, the administrators are on a one third uplift. I, yeah, I think they get a, you know, a three hundred grand bonus if the deal goes through. So it's in their interests for the the prospective owners to to pass the test as well.
0: Would it reflect badly on the administrators, Kieran, if if they were to put? so much weight on a deal that eventually had was proved to have nothing behind it. Um,
1: It, it, well, it it certainly isn't going to enhance their reputation. You know, that they could end up looking like chumps Mm. if six weeks has been wasted with a, uh, with, with with a a consortium that didn't prove to actually have the, the resources behind them. All, All I can say again, going back into the dim and distant past when I used to do this type of work is um, you, you do end up kick, kissing a lot of frogs in, huh. in the world of insolvency. Okay. Yeah, right. you know, there's there's a lot of glorified tire kickers. There's a lot of people that will claim to have this, that, and the other. And to a certain extent, you've got to have them at first value, uh, sorry, at face value. And, and normally, you get rid of the you know the, the complete nitwits and, and fantasists by by insisting on some form of goodwill deposit. So I can only assume that the the administrators have done that, but it's 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 a bit like buying and selling a house. You've got to get the deal over the line and mm. until uh, you know, even exchanging contracts it isn't 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 uh,
0: the end of the story. And this question's just occurred to me, Kieran, and it's probably a question to which the answer is much longer than we've got, so maybe it's something we can defer. It is there nothing that you can't learn from Companies House?
1: Um Well, if the the information is genuine, um, then you you can pick up an awful lot of information in terms of background. But remember, most companies these days are are not audited. So you have to Mm. take things at face value. Companies House, uh, unfortunately, is is hugely under-resourced. So it can't chase companies as much as perhaps it should. So that's why we've got the likes of um, uh, there's two clubs in the championship, one of which is Sheffield Wednesday, and would would you would you care to guess who the other who have not submitted data going back to mid- the middle of 2019? Uh, I say this with a heavy heart, but it's going to be Derby County, isn't it? It, it is Derby County, yeah. unfortunately, um, and that that reflects not particularly well in terms of the governance of either of those clubs. Um, and I know they'll say it's all to do with the EFL charges, but uh, in my view, um, that that's a nonsense uh, because they must they must they must know the accounts themselves these days. Um, so uh, you, you, you can find out an awful lot if if you are um, if, if if you've got a forensic mind and have no personality.
0: And as I. Uh, tick at least one of those boxes, um, then, then that's, that's my second home. You see, yeah, it it really is like being married, Kieran. Sometimes you do put me into situations where there's no right answer to something that you've just said. Uh, <laughs> so we'll move on. We've got some interesting news about stadia up and down the country, but first a quick trip to Scotland, which we always enjoy, and Hearts have released their latest figures. What do they tell us, Kieran? Um. Well, uh, th- that they they show that Hearts
1: are very fortunate to have some uh, incredibly good benefactors. Um, the, the club was losing fifty six grand a week last year, mm. but um, there's a guy called James Anderson who who seems to be a philanthropist who who also has got a bit of a soft spot for Hearts. So he put in three million pounds. Um, the foundation of Hearts, which is sort of the supporters' organisation. Mm that put in another 600 grand to effectively offset the the day-to-day losses that were being made um but it it, it is a it, it is tough uh i think hearts fans when i put up the data on on social media um i think they were quite surprised to find that uh, you know hearts were relegated last season um and they have a wage bill which is you know three or four times that of some of the other clubs in Scotland which I think came as a surprise uh, to them, or well, perhaps perhaps yeah, two or two or three times. Um, but but w- another interesting nugget from the fr- from the back pages um, was that they spent six hundred and forty six thousand pounds. Remember when Scottish football went into lockdown, yeah. and and Hearts were relegated based on the yeah. position they were in the table at the time. Yeah. Um, so th- they took that up with the SPFL and the SFA. Um, and, uh, I think they ended up having to go and pay costs for the other parties as well. So, so over 640 grand went to our good friends with their, with their silver tongues who, who I suspect they will now be looking at Range Rover brochures. (laughs) And so so perhaps, perhaps they should get in contact with Charlton and they might be able to get themselves a, a bit of a discount on some of the ones that were potentially going
0: back. See, even even the worst news stories are good news for someone, Kieran. Uh, yeah, someone in in your world, in the world of finance and law, there are very rarely a hundred percent losers. Now, good news for Coventry fans, Kieran, because they could be returning to the Ricoh Stadium next season, but for an unusual reason.
1: Um, yes, yes. I mean, they they could do on on the on the back of COVID, which oh, yeah. which seems a bit bizarre, mm. um, because. At present, the Ricoh Stadium is is effectively owned by Wasps Rugby Club, Mm. but because they're not able to host matches themselves, um, they are suffering huge losses, and it's estimated to be around about £5 million. So their their future is in doubt. Now, uh, Wasps uh, said to Coventry, we don't want you there anymore because they were in dispute with Sisu, who are this mysterious... Uh, I think it's I think it's Bahamas based uh, yeah. hedge fund. Um, now Sisu are taking wasps and the council or Perhaps it's just the council to to the European Court to to try to claim that they should be the rightful owners of the Rico. Um, Coventry have been playing uh, at uh, at uh, Birmingham St Andrews or the uh, Trillion Trophy tro- uh, Stadium, as it is officially now known um but crowds have dropped to 6000 although they're in the championship i still think it's a good great effort from coventry fans absolutely you know, um, but it was it's less than half than they were getting at the Rico. so there's now potential talk about coventry um taking up an option uh, if if wasps and Sisu can stop behaving like squabbling children um and uh, and return for 2021 22 so this will be this will be good because WASPs will receive some rent. Um, I, th- I think we're all hoping that you know, a significant element of the population will have been vaccinated by the start of next season, and, and therefore crowds will be able to return to a much greater extent than we're presently seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Coventry will start to generate more money. WASPs will generate some more money. Um, I, I think the, the intention is, is still... For Coventry to move to Warwick University, effectively yeah. on, a, on a Brownfields title there, um, but you know, ne- never say never when it comes
0: to stadiums. Yeah, uh, two things, there, Kieran. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say officially it's St Andrews. I don't. I, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm really not a home to the Johnny Rock's Stadium. It, it's it's Wadden Road. I watch. It's, it's astonishing now. The very rare occasions I watch Soccer Saturday, and you see the reporter going to the stadium. He goes, "It's not called that." Why is it called that? It's just it's just it's just. <laughs> and also, you know, get yourself vaccinated, kids. For the love of God, seriously. If if you're a Palace fan and you're the reason that we can't have twenty six thousand people back at Sellers Park. Don't go near the Pawson's Arms, because we've had a discussion and the Pawson's Arms official policy is very much pro-vaccination, as it should be. Yeovil Town Stadium, Kieran, has been sold. Is this a good sale or a naughty sale? Um, I, I, I think this is probably a good one. So they they sold – is it
1: Huish Park? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Yes. Um, um, the The stadium, which in my experience, is the toughest of all 92 to get out of if you park there. Um, because there's there's a one tiny exit, and you might as well just go to the pub for two hours, which is I, probably not to be encouraged. I hate, for to, most say,
0: I hate to say this, Kieran, but uh, I've never been there because we've never drawn them in the FA Cup. So until such time as they're in the Premier League, I'll have to take your word for it. Carry on. <laughs>
1: right, <laughs> <laughs> they, they were they were in the Championship a few years ago.
0: I know they were. They were um, uh, one of the most famous giant killing clubs in the country as well for for many years, and until the new stadium had that wonderful nine-foot drop, the slope on the pitch, which somebody once worked out that if Peter Crouch stood on the bottom end with a baby on his head, the baby would just be able to see the touchline at the other side, which is a good bit of working out.
1: Um, So um, so Yeovil Town Football Club, who are now uh clearly not part of the 92 because they, they've they've had a bit of a, a tumble recently they have yeah um they they were losing uh 13,000 pounds a week pre covid um and they've gone to the local council and said we've got problems now this has been approved by I think it's South Somerset council um uh, looking at the the local press it appears that it's not been universally popular uh within council chambers um but uh, it, it's a thirty-year lease. They, they've got a buyback option. Um, they've been given a rent holiday for the first year, which, which is, I think, is a sensible thing to do and the right thing to do from the council's point of view. Um, but what I found a little bit disturbing is, is that the rent is not disclosed. Now, you know, if I was a council taxpayer, I'd be saying, "Well, why isn't it being disclosed?" Uh, you know, we, we, we as uh, we, we as people who, or, you know, whoever is living in Yeovil, surely is, is entitled to uh, have have a degree of scrutiny and transparency from their local council, just as much as we would expect from um, you know as we, as we expect from football or as I expect from football clubs uh, when, when I'm going through through all the data. Mm. Um, the the only way we will be able to find this out is from Companies house in due course, but it will take a, it will take a while for that data to come through. So um, yeah, whether it's a good deal or a bad deal, I, I don't know. It, it won't be as good as the deal that um, that our friends Derby County managed to negotiate when when they sold uh, Pride Park for eighty million pounds, because apparently the market rent for the prop for to, to rent it back was four million a year, and uh, they managed to uh, discount that down to one million. Which uh, you, you've got to give them a lot of credit for that for negotiating with uh, with Mel Morris the the
0: owner of Pride Park and we, Derby County, we Derby County fans, if you're listening, seriously, I promise you, before every pod, we we do a little little pinky pact to say, can we try and get through without missing Derby County? Well, we can't. It's we really do try not to. Um, uh, and it's just occurred to me that Peter Crouch with a baby on his head was very far from the sentence I was expecting to say in this <laughs> in this pod today. And now that, that's going to turn up in Martin Sowell's review. Um. Yes. Uh, Still on Stadia, Clapton, CFC are raising money to fix their roof. Why is this a story for us here, Kieran?
1: Well, it's a story for us because we, we've spoken to Clapton. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is a community club. Um, the, the old spotted dog is not only the best
0: named stadium in, in London. It, in, oh, in London, maybe yeah. The, I would if you're talking about nationally, I'd go with the Dripping Pan in Lewis yeah. would, be, yeah. would yeah. be up there. Yeah, um,
1: it's it's the oldest senior ground in London as well. Yeah. But they, yeah. the the club uh, the, the club uh, which is community owned has. Finally, become the owners since July, and, and they inherited uh, a bit of a mess. So there were holes in the roof, there were leaks, and uh, they're due to have an FA inspection in early 2021. And, and now that that hole in the leak, hole in the roof, has uh, expanded, mm. um, they've tried tarpaulins, they've tried felt, and they've they've also tried, and, and I quote, um, an unusual
0: roof condom. <laughs> Which, <laughs> As opposed to those usual, well, those, those everyday roof condoms that we're also familiar with, of course. Yes, that's they right. Going, and, and, they're going for a ribbed one, presumably. Are they just to make it to <laughs> yeah. fine? Okay. Well, I hope not. Flavored. Dear Lord, Kieran, really, you have to. I mean, I drag it so far down, Kieran, but you just always find a level beneath that you can drag it down to.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does. Does remind me of a, a story going way. Oh no, we haven't <laughs> got no, time for that. Uh, we've not got time for
0: that. <laughs> So yeah, so how much do they need then to fix their roof? Well, they, they they're
1: looking for fifteen thousand right. uh, pounds in total, and, and they they've raised over ten thousand pounds to date, which is fantastic. Um, if anybody would like to give them support, I, I, they would be appreciative. And, it, and if you want to go down a, a slightly different route, um, I can thoroughly recommend the the merchandise uh, yeah. at Clapton for, uh, Clapton CFC. Uh, I, I've got one of their away shirts, which. Uh, which even for me, as somebody colourblind, I think blimey, O'Reilly, that's that's bright, um, but that's that's linked to the uh, their support for the the, the Basque uh, Basque yeah. people in in Spain. Um, so it's uh, you know, it's got a bit of history, and well, accounts it's gone down extremely well with the uh, with, with with many people from the. Uh, who are Spanish of origin uh, who are now living in London. So it, it's well worth a check out, um, but it's, it's, it'll be fantastic if Clapton could actually move They, they are hoping to start playing football next season um, at, uh, at the ground. And, and uh, so, th- they they need this in order to uh,
0: satisfy the FA's inspection. It, the Clapton story in the Clapton interview we did was one of those stories, and you can never predict. I mean, they, they all get a good response, but you can never predict which is going to get the better response. And Clapton was one of those stories that really touched the nerve with a lot of our our listeners. Um, so there's no reason why we can't put a link to that on our, yep. our yep, tweet. Yep. Can we? So and I'm, I'm knowing the generosity of our listeners, I think that last five thousand pound. Should be doable and and talking of gestures of goodwill, Kieran uh, in the season of goodwill, my favorite time of the year, Sunderland fans are organizing a soup kitchen this christmas
1: yes, yeah, and and uh, I think sort of food poverty is something which has. Mm. Has touched many football fans. Yeah, we've seen the fantastic work of Marcus Rashford, yeah. um, and the fact that that many clubs themselves have become community hubs to make sure that people uh, don't go without food. I mean, it, it is a it, it is a basic necessity. It's the least we can do in a in a civilized society. So here, a, a huge hats off to um, Roker Report, which is one of the sort of the Sunderland uh, podcasts and fanzines. Um, you know they are they are very committed towards the local community so they've they've got they've uh they've, they've work working in conjunction with the local community soup kitchen Um that they've raised a lot of money um, and i think a special uh, mentioned, should go to, could, to go to former player uh, Duncan Watmore. Now, you know, he was he's not he's not been at the club for a few years. Mm-hmm. But when he heard of the plight, and and he was out of a, he was out of work in the summer. You know he was looking for a new club. He's he's only just managed to to get himself uh, back uh, back to get a contract. So he's put in five hundred pounds. I think they've raised uh, a, a good few grand now. And uh, you know at a time when there's a lot of cynicism and when. Some fans at some clubs, shall we say, have not necessarily covered themselves with glory recently. Um, you know, this type of activity, uh, again, makes you proud to be connected with the game. It
0: it, it does. And uh, yeah, I'm going I'm to mention the schemes that I know because for several years now, um, Steve Parrish has opened Sellers Park as a cold weather shelter for homeless people. And when the temperature drops below a certain number, that kicks into action, um, which is something we're very proud of. Um, the Palace Foundation and the club are opening the kitchens over winter, over Christmas, to provide meals for people on low incomes, homeless people. Uh, and I say that as a proud Palace fan, but there are, I would guess, every single club in the in the league structure, and most of them in the National League structure, will have similar stories because, as we've said before, we're only too pleased to mention the sterling work that football fans and football clubs do quietly, away from the spotlight of the bad behaviour that sometimes we shine on them. And unfortunately, it it really annoys me that the, the press, both the tabloids and the broadsheet press, never cover enough of these stories. I mean, the local people in Sunderland will, will be proud of what's happening because the local press will cover it. But all of these, one of the newspapers needs to have just a big centre-page spread just to show that each club is is doing stuff. And that club you, you alluded to, Kieran, which is obviously Millwall. As a club, Millwall are doing similar things. So yeah, every football fan has reasons to be proud of their club this time of year. And again, we'll say it again and again, it shouldn't be down to bloody football clubs to have to do it. It's just shameful. It's, it's 2020. Anyway, talking of shameful, UEFA... <laughs> um, I used to quite like UEFA until I did this podcast, and now suddenly I just, UEFA have put forward new proposals for the Champions League, the so-called Swiss system, Guy has put in brackets, and he, you can hear his almost sniffy tone. Well, it's just in just about every email he sends us, basically. But it is the so called Swiss system. Why the so called Swiss system, Kieran, and not the Swiss system? Yeah, I think it is the Swiss system.
1: Yeah, and ideally, of course, we'd have the Swiss Ramble on the show to, to tell us
0: uh, direct, directly from Zurich. But he, <laughs> Would he, we? He'd, he'd run rings around me, Kieran. I don't think that's a particularly <laughs> good idea, is it? <laughs>
1: um,
0: but this, this
1: is uh, the future of. Uh, the senior competition in Europe from 2024 onwards. Now, is it going to be UEFA in charge? Is it going to be FIFA in charge, or is it going to be a third party? We, we genuinely don't know. But UEFA is is genuinely scared that it might lose the its position uh, as uh, being in control of the most lucrative uh, international competition between clubs on, on the planet. So, how does the Swiss system work? Well, it's it's based on uh, if there's anybody that is a chess fan, they'll be familiar with this. Um, I'd also recommend that the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. If, if even if you're not interested in chess, uh, that was an absolutely amazing series. Um, uh, and, and as somebody that never got more than high, no, I never got higher than table six for the school chess club. And I, and I know you're going to be amazed. I was in the school chess club.
0: Philip, uh, Philip, 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 Philip. the fuck, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> what the, what the fuck that come from? <laughs> <laughs> That's because you said the word queen, and immediately it led you to, the word association that led you to to Philip. Now, I, I was a, <laughs> I, I was about to say something slightly amusing about the fact that your school had a chess club, but I just recalled that my school had a chess club. Every school had a had a chess club. <laughs> yes, Philip. Oh, goodness. it's going to be a long time before I forget that. That's going to be in Martin's sales review as well now, isn't it? So he, Martin's got me second-guessing what he's going to tweet in his review. Anyway, Terry, carry on with your story. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, So the way that this is going to work is that it
1: looks like there's going to be 32 teams in a single division, and they are going to play probably 10, but it could be up to 14 group matches. Oh, okay. and and those will be clearly only against random opponents um so presumably there will be seeds but it could be something it could something work out so that if you finish in the top 8 you automatically go through to the knockout hmm. if you finish in positions 9 to 24 you then go into a playoff to get into the knockout so the aim is to avoid too many dead rubbers. Manchester City qualified after four games. Yes, yes. Qualified after five. Uh, The Manchester United match last night was quite intriguing, but but that's that's the exception rather than the rule Mm. Um, in terms of the latter stages of the group stage. And then there would apparently be some form of relegation playoffs, potentially, with the Europa League for positions 25 to 32. All of this will involve more football being played. Mm. So then we come back to Project Big Picture. What was the purpose of Project Big Picture? It was to clear the decks for something of this nature. Mm. So is this going to involve uh, the abolition of the Carabao Cup? Certainly, when, I, when I've spoken to people uh, in, in European football, because I, I, I occasionally have uh, conversations with, with people uh, based, uh, based on the continent, um, they seemed convinced that the Carabao Cup was dead. Um, there certainly will be pressure on on the Premier League to slim down to 18 clubs. And nobody, when, when I, I had this discussion, said, so yeah, it'll be really good. This will, this will free up extra slots to allow Manchester United and Liverpool and Chelsea to play more fixtures. And I go, well, I, I can understand that. And I can understand why the owners of those clubs want it because it will be very, very lucrative. But if you're a fan of Newcastle, Aston Villa, West Ham, Everton, Leicester City, Palace, and so on, how are are you going to be better off each season through playing four fewer fixtures? And the gap between the other 14, for want of a better phrase, and the, the rich six, and that gap is presently on average, £350 million. That gap is going to grow further and further. How's that going to make the Premier League more competitive? And how are you going to look forward to two fewer home matches a season uh, You know, in terms of wandering up to the
0: Portsmouth's arms? I, I I, I just can't see the benefits to all of those clubs. Well, The other thing I don't understand in this story, Kieran, is that on those rare occasions when I get to speak to people in high positions at top six clubs they they all give the impression that they absolutely hate the group stages of the of the Champions League, that it's a tedious chore that for the most part they are almost guaranteed to get through. So I, I can't understand what's in it for those clubs either because you know, with, that, with that number of teams in there, there's still going to be dead rubbers. You're not going to guarantee uh, a Man United, VRB, Leipzig every season. And if you do, it's only going to be one or two Uh, because you know in uh, under normal circumstances Barcelona Juventus last night that would have been a seismic shock of a result but they both already qualified so I can't see how that's not going to happen under this new system all it seems to do is as you say aggravate the rest of the clubs in the domestic leagues because it'll be the you know the equivalent clubs to Leicester and Palace and and Newcastle and Brighton in Spain Italy and France will be equally as annoyed I gather wouldn't they uh, uh, yes I, I, I fully anticipate that but
1: as far as the big clubs or the rich clubs are concerned, four more matches or six more matches in Europe means they can sell the broadcasting rights for uh, more money. Okay, course, they yeah. can have those big sponsorship deals enhanced. Um, and it's all to do with money. It's, it's nothing to do with sporting integrity, any of this. Um and and I, and I don't want to become one of those people that say, "Well, football's you know, football's been ruined by money." Um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 been changed. There's been good and there's been a lot of bad. But this is purely a money grab.
0: Okay, um, a friend of mine some years back went to be a football coach in Switzerland, and they gave him a flat, literally yards from the Swiss-French border, the most beautiful place. Um, which is my way of bridging. The gap from a Swiss story to a French story, Kieran, because um, our last story before our interview with Simon Hallett, uh, the French TV company Media uh, have missed another payment they owe to League One.
1: Yes, it's it's not looking good for domestic football in in France. And you know, as, league, as anybody... I, should, sorry, Kieran,
0: I should say, League, I say League One. That might confuse people. League 1 rather than League One. Now, yeah, yeah. in our our currency. Yeah, in case people didn't put two or two together. That's why Swiss Rambles shouldn't be allowed on, Kieran. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So, yeah, there's this company, MediaPro, which which signed a four-year deal for around about 2.5 billion sterling um, to have the the rights for the top two divisions in France. Now, it missed a payment uh, earlier in the autumn, and apparently it just missed another one. And we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of euros a time. Mm, mm. Um, and it's saying that it wants to renegotiate the contract that COVID-19 has had a negative impact upon viewing figures and therefore what they signed up for is not what they're getting. Nobody signed up for COVID-19, yeah, I would point yeah. out to them.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and what we're seeing, uh, and they've also set up a, a sort of a dedicated uh, channel called Telefoot Chat. Um, which which is a bit like uh, you know, the ITV digital broadcasting uh, uh, channel. So it could be that this could be a separate legal entity. So they could let, let this company go bust and, and walk away from the deal. I'd be intrigued to see the contract. French football is, is currently surviving on a combination of government loans and grants uh, with the exception of yeah you know, the likes of PSG and those clubs that are in the the Champions League who are getting money from UEFA. Mm. So it, it's a very delicate situation. Um but I think it is indicative that um the golden goose which is broadcasting as far as football is concerned uh is is not a guarantee. And uh you know, clubs need to be aware of this uh, because we we, we saw uh, you know pretty pretty horrendous repercussions as a result of the ITV digital and this could be a french version except with with a a, a zero or
0: two at the end of things mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that one as ever. Now, Kieran, as you know, we here at Price of Football Towers love a local boy made good story. And the story of Simon Hallett and Plymouth Argyle is just that. And Plymouth is a town close to my heart. I love Plymouth for various reasons. Uh, Kieran spoke to the man who bought his hometown club.
1: Or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Hello, Simon. Thank you very much for joining us and welcome to The Price of Football.
2: Uh, Thanks very much, Kieran. Uh, It's an honour to be invited.
1: Thank you. Um, right, Plymouth Argyle. Uh, I've got to ask the question you know, any football fan would love to do this, but you're the person that actually went out and bought a football club. What made you do it? Um, what were the biggest challenges to doing it? And was your family talking to you after you went and announced that you've just gone and bought the club?
2: Um, yeah, that, that I'll start with the first one. I actually appeared on a podcast soon after I became a minority shareholder in Agar and, um, uh, the guy asked me, you know, what my wife said when he told me, when, when, I told my wife that I was thinking about buying a steak and what she said was, you've already done it, haven't you? So <laughs> there was no, there was no real resistance from my family. Um, I should say that my family are not really football fans. I've got three daughters who are now all in their kind of early to mid thirties and they grew up during the kind of Beckham era. So they were Manchester United Premier League fans. They kind of happily came along to watch Argyle on the few occasions when we were back in Devon, but they weren't really Argyle fans. So they're kind of keen now, but not, not the kind of fan that I am or you are of your club. Um, What's been really interesting on this issue, though, is that I bought it. You know, get, getting back to the first part of your question, I, I bought a small stake originally, and it was very easy. Um, I, you know, I through um, a friend of a friend, I got in touch with the club and said, "Look, um, I live in the United States. There's not much I can do to help, but I've got a bit of money. Um, and if if that if that would help, then you know, please, can I come on board?" And the uh, it was very very easy indeed. Um, James Brent the former owner had been looking for somebody who was much more clearly a fan to become directly involved um, a fan with a little bit of money um, prepared to put it into the club so the the door was half open and as the years went by and I got sucked into the business of football as well as fandom um, I became a bigger shareholder and going back again to the end part what one of the great joys for me has been that i thought this would be a bit of fun for me um but my wife has absolutely loved it my wife is um all in um she hates watching the games games is notorious for hiding behind the sofa when there's actually a game on she gets very stressed mm-hmm. but um you know she loves meeting the fans she loves being part of it the whole kind of argyle um family ha- has been wonderful to her and she she's loved it so if it hadn't been for that it would have just been you know me as minority shareholder um having a bit of fun um and you know living the boy her dream but it's been it's been a real kind of joint effort jane does a lot of work with the fans and um you know that's enabled me to um spend more time on our than i otherwise would have done so it's it's really been been fantastic terrific
1: uh, i must must confess as a brighton fan we all have a soft spot for Argyle, and the reason for that, it was yes, uh, it was the fans united, which was a suggestion of an Argyle fan, which which yeah. saved our club. We won that match five nil. We stayed up on goal difference. We s- somehow managed to survive two years at uh, at Gillingham, and now where we are is uh, is where we are. Um I mean, sort of in terms of your relationship with the club you you mentioned that it's it's uh, it's as much an emotional relationship as as it is a financial one do do you have a sort of a vision because i think argyle is one of those clubs where you think it should have done perhaps better historically than it has uh, yeah, it's it, because it's got that catchment area. Uh, yes. the, the 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 away support is amazing. The home support, the numbers of you know the numbers have stayed up all this time, and now you're you know, yes. you're in a tough division league one. Um, yes, what what what's your sort of vision for Argyle?
2: Yeah, um, just ju- ju- just on that, you know, I, I remember hearing um, the Orient. Barry Hearn, the former Orient owner, Leighton Orient owner, talking about um, how potential was the most dangerous word in football. And there's no doubt that Argyle continues to have great potential. The catchment area is big, but it's, and it's got, you know, um, it's got the whole population of Devon and Cornwall in, obviously. We're competing with Exeter, who are a very well-run club. Um, But historically, you know we've competed very successfully versus Exeter we've also competed against Torquay who are at the moment a non league but when i was a kid it was Torquay that we called about it's a rugby area is one of the problems um the other problem is that transport links are not terribly good so to get to home park takes you know considerable amount of time and i think your catchment area should be not so much how far it is to um, the nearest club that you're competing with, but how long it takes. And frankly, it takes a long time to get to Argyle. So it's very hard to attract any but the diehard fans. Um, similarly, when it comes to our away support, it's absolutely fantastic. But part of the reason why we have such a good away support is that there's a diaspora of. Is it diaspora or diaspora? It's one of those words you never hear people talk, saying, and just read. Um, Anyway, there's a whole bunch of Plymouth people who don't live in Plymouth anymore. You know, I'm obviously an example, but Plymouth is not a town that has grown significantly over the last 30 or 40 years. So because people have tended to leave because job opportunities have been greater outside. So our away support is very much made up is not not largely, but a lot of it comes from people who don't actually live in Plymouth. Um, My vision has been um, explicit. The board about three years ago put together one of these vision statements that often sound woolly and without actual um, implications for what you're going to do on a daily basis. But we try to do something a bit different. What we've said is that our vision is to be a successful football club supported or respected by everybody in the Southwest and many beyond. And it sounds vague and woolly, but it's actually not. Um, The key word in that is respect. And I think that, uh, we can all agree that football, um, you, you're, you're either a supporter of a local football club or, or you're not. Um, and the reasons for supporting you discussed at length on, on the pod, you know, essentially it's, you're, you're born with a football club and it's very hard to, hard to shake it off, even if at the times you yes. want to. <laughs> um, but respect has to be earned. Um, and you can earn respect by, you know, winning football games, being a successful club. You can earn respect in being well managed by treating your fans well, putting on a good product on a re- regular basis and, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, the classic example in Devon would be the Exeter Chiefs. I'm not a rugby fan. I've been to see the Chiefs a couple of times, but my goodness, I do admire what they've done, not just because they're European champions at the moment, but because they've taken you know a small club, they've run it with discipline. They've run it with financial um, uh, uh, discipline as well. It's been extraordinarily well run, and you know this season it's borne fruit. So I would like Argyle to be respected by people who don't even follow football, and to do that, it's meant that we've had to uh, change culture. We've put in new management in the last couple of years. We've gone through the club and put put in. Um, uh, very very good management you know ranging from our our chief executive officer who used to be the COO at Anfield it's actually um, it's interesting how he's ended up at us Um but you know we, we, we've changed everybody from the CEO what well, the chairman to the CEO to the groundsman to the chef in our hospitality area that you know it's been a, a, an a, even more obviously our, our manager um, you know in the past We had people who were doing a great job, uh, did do a great job bringing Argyle out of administration, operating on a shoestring, but we thought we needed slightly different people who could operate under slightly different um, budgeting environment. So our vision is that we want to gain respect. The way we're going to do that is by being a well managed club, playing not just good football, but providing, you know, good opportunities for our fans um and potential fans on on saturday afternoons and beyond we gain respect by doing great things in the community via our community trust and you know we gain respect i think by being financially sound and not putting the club at risk so all of those i think will mean that um uh we will be not just a successful football club in terms of league position but a successful club in terms of what our not just our fans but the wider audience thinks about us
1: that's terrific. That that that's music to our ears. We've been—I sure. wouldn't say that we're a campaigning show, but uh, certain issues to do with the governance of the game have become yeah. increasingly evident. And yeah. uh, all I can say is that you've you've never come within a million miles of our wrongans list, which which is yeah. it's a good thing to do um, because a football club is is so much more than than just yes. football. Um, Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, it's interesting. You you said it was a mixture of, I think when one of your previous questions, you said something about a mixture of emotional and financial interest in Argyle. I I mean, I've spent a lot of money on Argyle. I've invested a lot of money in Argyle, but I have no expectations of a financial return at all. Um, This is entirely emotional involvement for me. Um, And the cost is the money that has gone into it. If I get it back one day, you know, that would be great. But if I don't, that's fine as well. Football, you know, people say that football is a business and people are operating in a business like way. I'm in the investment management business. Our job is to invest um, people's savings in companies. And we do that on a very long term basis. So we try to identify good businesses and own them over long time periods. You know, so to do that we analyze their competitive position we analyze their financial strength you know we think about how they're going to compete successfully over decades if, if and then we think how our our clients are going to make money out of being shareholders uh, the only way you make money out of being shareholder of a football club unless you're the kind of person who wants to get on your naughty step is <laughs> is is by selling it and you know you you you, you know perfectly well kieran that the value of an asset from an investment point of view is the present value of the cash flows associated with it discounted at an appropriate rate there are no cash flows (laughs) the the day that argyle pays me a dividend is the day that the fans hate me so i'm not going to get any dividends so you know if it's a business it's the worst possible investment that it could be
1: that, that's that's fa- that's fantastic to hear. In, in some ways, um, not clearly from a from an investment perspective, but no, I, I absolutely understand where you come from. And uh, you know, I, I, for my sins, uh, as you know, monitor all ninety two clubs via companies, house and websites and so on. Uh, and I, I get approached all the time by people saying, "Well, we're thinking of investing in a football club," I say, "Well, yeah. why? You know, you,
0: yeah, because
1: you're, you're not going to make money from it.
2: No." No, unless you sell it to some, unless you sell it to a greater fool. And I, you know, sorry, that's a kind of, I mean that technically, I don't mean that people are complete idiots to buy football clubs, but they are idiots if they think that they are sensible financial investments. They're not.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's many people who are successful in other aspects of life who believe that therefore they can transfer that Midas touch to the world of football, but football is a way of spitting you out and Chewing you up Uh,
2: so it it, Uh, is a tough industry but it it sucks you in first here and that's the trouble yes (laughs) sucks you in that spits you out it is a tough industry but i think um it's a tough industry because it attracts there's a lot of money hanging around football so it does attract some um, bad eggs but it's also that there's this great emotional attraction to football and you know that mixture is very very dangerous the mixture of um, investing and emotion is about a, as dangerous a mixture for your financial health as you can get. I think.
1: Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about the fact that that Argyle do have a a good solid fan base, um, and and that's a great thing. But it does mean that, of course, a, a significant proportion of your revenues are coming through the turnstiles. Um, yes. How has COVID? hit you. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I've, I'm sure you, as, as, as a person that works in finance, you've got all your budgets for worst case yeah. scenario, middle. Um, ha- has it been worse than you possibly thought when,
2: when this all started? Um, it's been about as bad as we possibly thought. When, when this all started, um, actually soon after it all started, about May, June, we started running um, some quite um, wide ranging scenarios about what could possibly happen. And we thought that the worst that could possibly happen would be that we'd have no fans in the ground, um, until basically next season. Um, and as a result of that, I injected a bunch of money in the club that would enable us to survive on, on that basis. So Argyle's financial, um, future is not in doubt for this season and probably for a large part of next season. Um, so, you know, we we basically took care of what we thought was the worst case scenario. What what's been really telling at Argar though hasn't just been the lost ticket revenue. That's been um significant. But I I should note here that our fans have been absolutely magnificent. Um you know, I talked about our vision being one of gaining respect, and I'm not going to pretend that we haven't put um our foot wrong at all over the last few years. You know, we we do make mistakes. But By and large, our fans have come to respect the job that the club has done and the fans have responded by helping out financially. So we sold what we thought was um, the number of – sorry, when I say sold, we allowed people to renew tickets, season tickets this season, up to the number of um, people that we thought would be allowed in. And the indications back in July, August were that when we reopened, we'd be – Able to be at about 25, 30% of capacity. And Argyle's you know, capacity at home park uh, after the reconstruction of the grandstand is um, about 18,400. So we, we sold nearly 5,000 season tickets to existing season ticket holders. So that was obviously, you know, tremendous source of cash flow. Um, and, uh, um, we, we, Sold it to the people on the grounds that they, you know, would not be able to get a refund. That if they weren't allowed to come to the ground, we would um, give them a I follow match pass at no further cost. But then, when the time came and we were going further and further into the season without being allowed fans in, we kind of went back on that contract and said, "Look, you know, we realise that um, times are tough in Plymouth. We don't want people." who you know had jobs when they paid their 400 quid but no longer have jobs to you know have that 400 quid still in the club so we did actually go back on the contract and say to people look if you want your money back you can have it almost nobody asked for their money back which is just extraordinary at a time of um at a time of you know hardship in a town that town and area that is not you know the wealthiest in the country um So our fans have been magnificent, and I think that reflects all the good work we've done over the last few years. So um, we've been saved by me putting money in, by our fans being very, very supportive from a financial point of view. Um, Where it's really hurt us, and it's been absolutely as bad as we thought, was that we haven't been able to make use of the grandstand. So part of our financial vision has been that you know, like the Exeter Chiefs have done, we would be able to take the club's biggest asset, its stadium, that we invested a very large amount of money in, and that we'd be able to use that asset for high quality activities um, that would generate revenue for the club throughout the week, not just on a Saturday afternoon. From an investment point of view, the worst thing about owning a football club is that um you know the return on investment is partly a function of what's called your asset turnover you know basically the revenues you get relative to the size of your asset and the you know your asset is constant throughout the week but your revenues only come in for an hour and a half on a saturday afternoon you know it's crazy so um you know we'd had this goal of turning home park into an entertainment center and we had bookings for home park for through the end of last season, um, we had concerts uh, at the end of season, we had some quite big concerts you know twenty thousand people booked um, that were going to be big revenue earners and that 's all gone out the window. We kind of assumed that we would be able to get back to um, revenue generating activities and they 've been knocked on the head again in the last month or so at a time when our um, staff you know i I talked about changing management we 've got very imaginative Young uh, um, manager of uh, hospitality, who's who's come up with tremendous ideas. You know, at home park until it was stopped, we were putting on roast dinners, we're doing high teas, we're doing stadium tours, we've had food trucks outside, we've had a Christmas market, all you know, all ways in which we could generate revenue. But a lot of those have been knocked on the head. So it's not just been ticket revenues that's been lost; it's been uh, you know our whole strategy of generating. Higher amounts of revenue from our biggest asset, our stadium, which we brought back about four years ago from the council, that that that's been knocked on the head, and that that's been damaging as well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we've we've spoken on many times on on the show that clubs don't seem to to sweat their assets, uh, correct, and it's. It, it it's it's a strange approach it, it it's it's not a cathedral yeah it's it is ultimately the place where you're going to generate uh, a huge proportion of of your revenues so yeah. so let, let's turn it into something which is desirable and, and i think you're absolutely right to go through the infrastructure route uh, and then to to have something which is desirable for a variety of purposes yeah. has got to be the way forwards and absolutely uh, certainly when I, when I, when i was looking at the figures for the premier league and the fact that spurs and i appreciate that last season was curtailed early but spurs managed to go from effectively nowhere to overtaking manchester united yes. in terms of match day revenues yet yeah, they've taken the approach and i think you're doing the same in, in devon and that's and when when i hear some people connected with the game saying well we're only open 20 to 25 days a year i go well why are you only open 20 yes. to 20 <laughs> days a year you know it's yeah. it's doesn't have to be uh locked up no. for the rest of the time I, I, yeah i i commend you on that um
2: yeah it, i should i should say up. that the, uh, yeah i so, sorry to interrupt you I, I should say that this was very much the vision that the pre- previous owner James brent had you know James is in the kind of hospitality industry he owns the local um i thing called the pavilions which is a kind of regional uh event um you know they own the physical assets and then they organize the events that go on so he, it was very much his vision that that's what we would do with um, home park um you know it's the brand of the football club is very powerful people like their football club so long as their football club does a good job um over and above you know results on the pitch and people just love having meals even on a you know thursday afternoon they love having high tea in view of the pitch people like having conferences and, and going back to the exeter chiefs this was very much the model that tony rowe put in place at, uh, at exeter you know somebody at exeter chiefs once said that they've got a fantastic hospitality and banqueting operation with a reasonable rugby club attached you yeah. know now they've got a fantastic operation with a fantastic rugby club attached so good on them uh, but those kind of assets um hospitality banqueting conferencing assets are very scarce in the southwest um you know and it's uh and again it's you know it's part of the reason for doing it at argyle for financing at Ar- argyle that um, this is an asset for the city. Um, you know, it's, it's an asset for Argyle, obviously. But you know, th- this is a good thing for the city to be able to attract um, conferences. You know, we can now put on a conference at Home Park for over four hundred people, which is not, you know, on a global scale, but on a regional scale, that's pretty significant. And that 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 brings people to the city. It bring, brings people to the hotels. It brings tourists in. It, you know, it all brings money. To the city and to the area, which is a great thing, I think.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I think Norwich are another classic example of yeah. doing things the, the right way, and, yeah. and and that gets noted, especially if you are, yes. uh, you know, a, 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 a town or a city which is which is slightly off the beaten track. Um, Very and- much off the beaten track. You don't need to beat about the bush. <laughs> 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 it's miles from anywhere. <laughs> but if if you get if you get that reputation locally then then yeah. then a they'll come and and b they'll come again and that's the most important thing of you. Know. Yeah. so I, I I really think you're taking the right approach <laughs> um I mean just going back to sort of the the geographical issue from sort of moving on to slightly more of a football thing eric does that make <laughs> excuse me the 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 job of the the football uh, recruitment team and so on. Is it is it harder to attract players to Argyle than, than other places yeah. in the country, or are footballers by nature nomadic, given the, the given the nature of the industry?
2: Um, I, every time I ask this question, I'm told that few footballers are by nature nomadic, and it, you know they just want to play football. It just it's just the money. Um, you know if you pay them, they'll come. Uh, I actually take a slightly different view, and we've taken steps, and we'll continue to take steps to make it a more attractive place for footballers and their families frankly i think tony pullius once said it's you know it's very easy to manage a club in stoke because you're never more than 50 miles from grandma and you know people forget that footballers are young men yep. they have young wives and partners they have very young kids and that's a pressurized time of life and it's particularly high pressure for you know their 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 partners their wives if they have young kids and they don't have access to babysitting, so I do know that the footballers themselves respond by having very active WhatsApp groups. They form mutual support groups. Um, you know, some of the footballers have told me how it actually creates bonds amongst footballers and their partners. But I, I, I think there's more that we can do. We we have somebody whose job is to take care of the footballers, make sure they don't have any problems. But I do think, frankly, it's an area that um, we need to. Uh, address partly for high you know hard-headed finance if it we get a reputation as being an attractive place for a family and and, and let, let let's be clear that Plymouth is a fantastic place to bring up a family you know the the fact that it's not terribly crowded means you know you're within twenty minutes of open moorland you're within twenty minutes of the beach. And you know, real estate property is relatively cheap, so it's a great place for a family. Um, uh, but um, the, you, the the dad is away for you know Friday through Saturday, and probably back and sleeping early on Sunday morning. Um, the demands on fo- young footballers are intense, and I think that anything we can do to help their support, help help them, would be better. We're actually running a study at the moment on the impact of um, you know home advantage. We have a wonderful natural experiment going on here with um, no fans in the stadium. Is it the effect so we can you know analyze the data and come up with whether or not home advantage comes from having fans or whether it comes from not having to travel? And our suspicions are that part of the home advantage comes from not having to travel. Um, Argyle, Argyle players have to travel a lot. That causes pressures on their well-being, on their kind of mental health, if they're worried about their partners. And, you know, we'll be looking at ways that we can address that and make sure that Argyle becomes a place where footballers want to be because it's good for them and their families as well as for their playing careers. Terrific.
1: I mean, this what, has More been to be done, more to be done. Sure, sure. I I mean, and it's it's an always an ongoing beast. You know, At the yeah. minute, I think, you think you've got it nailed, then, then somebody's going to overtake you. So this has been... No, I, couldn't, been I pat- couldn't
2: agree more. Well, and you're fighting football culture, which is that footballers are nomads. It's all about the money. And, you know, it's just not, just can't possibly be the case. You know, human beings care about their families. They care about those things. And if they're not looked after they worry and that affects their job performance i don't see why football should be any different when when we hired um a new manager one of the criteria was that (laughs) he treats footballers like human beings which is not to disrespect (laughs) how our previous manager uh treated treated them at all but um you know we wanted it to be absolutely clear that the days of you know if somebody makes somebody makes a mistake in a game in gets a good kicking when he comes in at half time are over. You can't treat people like that anymore. Um, you have to be sensitive to their feelings. And I don't want to get all, sorry, I know that I'd upset um, your uh, podcast partner's father, but, you know, the days, the days when you can treat <laughs> footballers like lumps of meat and give them a good kicking when they behave badly are, are well over. And, uh, you know, in Ryan Lowe, we have somebody who's very empathetic towards the needs of footballers because he's been a, a uh, footballer you know, around the lower leagues for a very long career himself. And he's quite close to that. So he and um, Steve Schumacher, Schumacher are, um, are uh, you know, very sensitive to the, the needs of footballers, not over-sensitive, but sensitive.
1: Terrific. Well, this has been an absolute eye-opener for me, Simon. So I, I really uh, appreciate, first of all, your time. Be what you've done for Plymouth Argyle, uh, and, and um, you know, I, I we, we get an awful lot of contact from an awful lot of fans from all all around the country, and we know who the good guys and the not good guys are. And all I can say from from my experience is that your, your fan base do appreciate everything that you've done. They know that you're on their side, which which not all owners are. Um, and just like to wish you all the best for the well for the festive season and hopefully, uh, you know, a, a return to more fans to to allow them to come and appreciate the team and, uh, you know, see you whizz up the table. Uh, and, and then we can have a South Coast derby in the Premier League in a couple of years or I, because I, I, yeah. this, this random South Coast link, which doesn't appear I, to I, exist on any other coasts. I, I,
2: I love it. I love it. It's um, actually, I was um, in the, um, we, we have an organisation called the Green Taverners who was part of the redevelopment or refurbishment of our grandstand um arranged for financing and then arranged for construction of a, a fan uh building where they have these fan fests on a uh Saturday afternoon and these fan fests are open to fans of other clubs. And um I was actually uh I was actually playing my ukulele on stage there at um one of their one of their fan fests and I got accosted by a bunch of people wearing um wearing blue and white and it was Brighton fans. So Brighton fans still come and watch Argyle if uh, Brighton don't have a game or something and there they are mixing with Argyle fans in our, uh, um, our fans building. Uh, you know, it's just fantastic. And, you know, it does remind everybody that, you know, there is a football family and I don't want to get too soft and teary eyed about it, but the football family does stick together and support itself um, when times are tough. And, you know, it's just wonderful that, you know, Brighton fans still are welcome at, at, Argyll on a Saturday afternoon and some of them want to come. so that's great. Tricky.
1: okay thank you again, Simon. stay safe my pleasure
2: yeah
0: all the best he's um he's definitely on he's definitely on the 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 good list isn't he as far as Santa is concerned.
1: Oh yeah very much so. Yeah yeah Simon is is an absolute delight. He he understands the club, he understands the the relationship it has with Plymouth um, and he wants just the best. And again, he's one of those guys who says, "I'm a custodian. I'm not mm, don't mm. don't think of me as the owner. I just happen to have been, you know, I'm Fortunate, I'd actually use the word very smart, um, and has been a success in business, which has allowed him to come back, um, and he has financially supported the club superbly to date, and he has uh, has plans to progress it as well. Which if a Plymouth fan, if you are a Plymouth fan,
0: you know I think it's something to be excited about. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible, isn't it, to talk about Plymouth without using that terrible, terrible phrase that they hate so much, sleeping giant. But, I mean, if they ever do reach the Premier League, man alive, they've got a big catchment area, haven't they? They'll be one of the success stories. And their away support is astonishing, really is astonishing. So, Yeah, again, that's a story we'd all keep our fingers crossed that they continue to do well, but uh, as fans know, at least they're in safe hands now. Before we go, Kieran, um, we'd both like to thank all... What's... Postman again? Postman again, yeah. Yeah. Tell him, Philip. Tell him. Tell him. Philip says, "Shush!" till the end. <laughs> till just to the end of the pod. <laughs> I love that he doesn't. There's not a peep out of that dog. That, that's it's proper 70s sitcom dog not liking postman <laughs> stuff. <laughs> that used to be a thing, kids. That used to be along with um, somebody trying to chat somebody with long hair up, and then discuss discovering they were a man. <laughs> which was a big staple of 70s comedy. The postman attack, being attacked by a dog was another big staple of 1970s comedy. I was, I was going to say kinder, gentler times, but they really weren't. No. Uh, uh, yes, we would like to thank all of you who took part in our quiz on Monday night. We had over 120 players in the end and some brilliant team names, including my friends in Wales who call themselves Spreadsheeps, <laughs> uh, Pof for BAFTA, which is great. Kevin's cat, uh, Bobby's amortisation, which was a, which is great, uh, and and many many more. Um, and the look, as I said, on the Baroness's face as Russian girlfriend came from nowhere to win first prize <laughs> it was an absolute treat. As was both your Christmas jumpers. Uh, we'd like to thank as well Football Manager, The Athletic, and Manscaped for donating prizes which will be on their way to you hopefully that's being organized by producer guy all those team names i mentioned will be getting top trumps we will be doing the quiz again because uh, frankly we had a lot of fun doing it and it's actually really really nice to put some faces to names and to actually have people from all over the world taking part kieran and it's it's you know this time last year we virtually didn't exist and now we've got people all over the world uh, making each other laugh, I, I stopped looking at the message boards in the end because I realised they weren't messaging us; they were chatting to themselves, which was which was very funny. So, and I know you'd like to add your thanks to them as well, Kieran.
1: Yeah, yeah, it it uh, it, 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 it was very warming, and uh, and it, and it was good fun from our point of view. Um, I, I know some people have only ever thought as the Baroness as being inflatable uh, because <laughs> nobody in their right minds would have anything anything to do with me. So. Oh. Um, so that, that was good as well. And, uh, yeah, a big, a, a big, you must be crazy, but we love you for it to, uh, to our Hong Kong correspondent, um, who got up at uh, quarter to three in the morning yeah. to join in the quiz. Uh, sadly he didn't win a prize, but I have sent him a, a set of top trumps for just for the, the sheer dedication to the show. So, so thanks very much to, to everybody. And, uh, uh, until then stay safe, look after yourselves and, Uh, we've turned the corner with the vaccination. So look forward to seeing more and more of you in football, hopefully soon.
0: Yeah, because that that 2000 made a big difference. And I have to say as well, uh, and it, it pains me to say it, but very, very, very well done to Tottenham fans and to Brighton fans who made the very public gesture of clapping their way through the taking the knee. Um, which was very much appreciated. Uh, and just, of course, to say it's questions time the next pod, so if you do have any questions on any aspect of football finance, email us on questions at com. And as Kieran says, hopefully there are brighter times ahead, but till then, stay safe. Bye-bye, everybody.
1: The football.
0: son for football.